Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and joined by your friends Ash, Rosa and Tom. Sadly, Billy is away right now. Curse you, school holidays. Now, tonight we will be picking the bones out of a weird and wonderful draw at Stamford Bridge, looking ahead to Wolves on Saturday afternoon and giving you some lovely culture picks. Um, But we start with Chelsea away. Up there, of course, with one of the most hideous fixtures we face each season. And, well, it was kind of hideous, but also kind of glorious at the end as well. What chaos, what farce, what a finish. Um, Ash, I want to start with you. Um, How did you find watching it as a whole? Um, It's never that fun. Was this in any way fun for you? No, I think it was probably worse than the previous Chelsea games last year. Well, even Uh, so... Tom, can you give us some quick stats from last season, please, before we start Chelsea Spurs? <laughs> my, my quick stat is four games and zero goals, guys. So, That's Ash, worse than four games, zero goals levels of stress? Yeah, because I went into this with like a level of expectation. Um, right, okay. I sort of start every league season um, like I always have since I was like a kid, that Spurs will win every game um, and that we're going to win the league. So... I still think we can win the league until it's like not possible. So even like the draw at the end, everyone was really happy and I was really angry because I just wanted the three points. So I found it really stressful and I thought the overall performance was really bad and like slightly worrying because Conte for me was like really out of thought by, by Tuchel. So I'm slightly concerned, um, but I'm really happy that we nicked a point, obviously. Um, Tom, you feel like we were chatting before. Is this perhaps the first occasion where, you know, we all love Antonio. He is our sort of our new saviour. We are all devout followers, et cetera, et cetera. But it did feel like that tactical battle, perhaps he was slightly outfoxed. Um, obviously he made adjustments as well which sort of eventually rescued things but do you feel like he this is maybe the first time where if we're looking at sort of fingers to point at someone perhaps one of those fingers should be aimed at him I think often we're too quick to kind of absolve Conte of guilt because we all love him and certainly the scenes at the end were fucking glorious weren't they like I hate Tuchel I hate the entirety of Chelsea Football Club. And I think what was weird actually going into the game is that I think some neutrals felt like the tables had been turned or something and that somehow we were the favourites, despite having, you know, not scored in four games against them last season. Um, I think they've had a more chaotic summer, a more chaotic transfer window than us, despite still bringing in Sterling, but they, you know, they lost their star, or rather sent their star striker back to Italy. Um, They've kind of been in for players and missed out on people, and they've got a kind of quite an unbalanced squad compared to us, arguably. 
But at the same time, they're a very, very good side. Their midfield overran us again, didn't they? Like, it just happens every fucking game against Chelsea. Their midfield absolutely boss us. And their wing-backs were also brilliant. James had, you know, an, an inarguably excellent game. Cucurella had a pretty good debut as well, didn't he? I mean, what um, was mad about James was he, he did boss us from the right sort of side of the pitch, but he wasn't even playing wing-back for a lot of it. He was playing as the right-sided centre-back, but was still able to just get forwards even before Tuchel made the switch and played. Anyway, yeah, he was he was outstanding, I thought, James. Yeah, really he, 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 he was so good. And um, yeah, and we were pretty terrible for most of the game, weren't we? Let's be honest. So it was a really, um, it was a really frustrating watch. And I think if we're looking at like, specific criticisms and then some of it is down to the players because a lot of them didn't look up up for it at all but also Perisic should have started shouldn't he like he, he I don't know if Conte didn't think he was fit enough but I think the last podcast we recorded at least a few of us said you know he's got to start Perisic it's a big game and certainly Cesc it should have been the other way around with Perisic setting the tone for 60, 70 minutes and then Sessignon coming on if if needed. So, yeah, Conte was at fault. It wasn't a great game to watch, but, yeah, thank God we we nicked the point. And, I mean, the last 10 minutes were obviously a lot of fun. I think it was a reminder to me that however bad a state Chelsea are in, the, the key thing to remember, particularly when we go to Stamford Bridge, is that that is their number one derby of the season, right? So it's kind of, you know, I cast my mind back to however bad we might have been and then it's a North London derby of the season. Fans are going to be into it from beginning to end. You know, Spurs have to deal with that every time they go to Stamford Bridge and I feel like Chelsea's players look so up for it. You know, the crowd would just it sounded pretty electric from, from start to finish. So, you know, we have this kind of handicap that I think we've spoken about on the podcast before where, you know, we have at least six of these fixtures a season where we're playing Arsenal, Chelsea and West Ham and we are their number one local derby. And it's really, really, really hard. And this sounds a bit whiny and like I'm sort of making excuses for a fairly kind of lacklustre in some ways Spurs performance, but you know, it is something that we have to deal with every time we go to these stage, particularly for the away games. And it's it's really, really difficult. And I, I do think some of the players looked a bit sort of beaten by that atmosphere almost, you know, within 10 minutes. They just some of them didn't look like they were ready for it. Um, Rosa, you're feeling a bit more. And I feel like, you know, we shouldn't dwell too much on it. I think the fact that we got a point, you know, we escaped out of there. Avoiding avoiding defeat is is a massive massive thing. You'd imagine the players are buzzing. You would imagine Conte learned a few lessons about you know how to set up those in those matches, and perhaps you know as you say, Tom Perisic has to be lent on from the start in those occasions. Rosa, you feel a bit cheerier about it all, don't you? Please say yes because I'm worried people will be switching off because they'll think that we're um, being super super neggy about everything. I do. I feel great about it to be honest. I you know. I perhaps because I think I was the only one out of all of us who did not predict a win. I thought we'd draw at best because I do think like Chelsea, they're just, they're just in our heads. They're just, they're just in our heads. And I don't know when that's ever going to change really. And to be honest, that is probably the major criticism that I would level at Conte. I don't, I personally don't even feel like it was a tactical battle that was necessarily lost because one, we didn't lose the game. I think all systems have their weaknesses, right? There's nothing you can do about that. You go with your system and unless you have the best players in the world, and even then there's going to be someone who can come up with a system to counteract yours. So yes, Chelsea did overload our midfield and overrun it, but then they were left with a, um, with only two players up top. And actually that showed because they didn't score more goals than us. That's just the truth of it, right? So, they, and they had chances. But they didn't even have that many chances. Actually, I think they had something like three shots on target and 
and they scored two and we had like five shots on target, something like that. So, okay, they took their chances more clinically, I suppose. But the fact is we restricted them. And I just think the bigger issue was this was for me, the psychological problem because I was quite shocked at how bad we were, even though I've seen us play that badly before. I couldn't believe I was watching it again. Mm. So to see that transformation from the sort of team that just looked beaten for 45 minutes to then in the second half become a team that was capable of equalizing not once, but twice, especially, honestly, especially after conceding that second goal, which was frankly mm. a war crime. Like watching that, I couldn't believe it. Like I know I said I was going to be positive, but honestly, that goal was just <laughs> like an, was an absolute shocker. It was like the first goal was bad enough. Here's another one that's even worse. They behaved as if the pitch was like half the size it was like the other side of the pitch just didn't exist and James could just like rampage down it. But the fact is, again, they got back from that. And to be honest, the last five minutes, last five or 10 minutes, I genuinely believed we would get an equaliser. And especially like I really, those corners at the end and possibly because those corners were brilliantly taken by Perisic, I, honestly, I thought this is happening for us and I don't often feel like that. And if I felt like that watching it, I can only imagine what the players felt like mm. being in that moment. And I just, I don't think you can overstate that. And I know we talked about this a bit in our group and I was like, am I getting a bit kind of, you know, proper football man about it, about the sort of psychological aspect? But I think it's massive. I think there's only so far like tactics will take you. And after that, it's about that sort of fight and honest, like such a cheesy thing to say, but that desire. And I just mm. I think they showed that, which they had not showed in the previous like four games we played against them last season. And so for me, that's that's massive, really. So I feel and just that thing of thinking that you're going to lose and those draws that feel like wins and you can laugh about it and say, well, there's still a draw, but they feel like wins. And that for me is just is is um, is an amazing feeling. So I just, I don't really feel worried. And I also feel just like my last thing is that it is one of those horrible derbies, but it's almost like it's our worst one. It's like, our, we have the worst record at Sanford bridge. I think it's either the same or possibly Anfield is worse, but either way, those two, we're just shocking there. And we always, we've been like that for like 40 years. So to get anything out of those games is just, is a win for me. Yeah, I also I also think like it depends what happens next. We like won in the last minute against Man City, and then the next game I think we lost to like Burnley. So mm. I think like we're only gonna see like what effect and like if the mentality shifted by like what happens in the next game. And then going back to the second Chelsea goal, I actually think, and I said this in the group at the time that I was like really angry because Son was at, le at left wing back, but he wasn't. He was actually like he shifted up the pitch and the system had changed back to like, I think how we'd maybe it was like a flat back four, but I think like, I think, I think yeah, sorry, goodness. No, no, but I, I, what I was going to say was, I think the players didn't know. Hence why there was like a huge gap. I think he changed the system like multiple times during the game. And like the players were so confused by it that like, that's why there was a huge like gap. It was, um, yeah, I think watching the watch the match of the day two or something, they sort of put a ring around. It was like every single player, apart from maybe James and Son, were in a tiny circle on the sort of far side of the pit. It was it was mad. And I think what you know what felt so frustrating, particularly watching the Conte cam today, um was was Perisic and Basuma just stood there and I read a tweet somewhere that apparently they were stood on the sidelines for nearly five minutes waiting to come on. And I think you're right, Ash. I don't think the players quite knew. I mean, clearly, because there was just a huge gaping hole in our in our sort of our side of the pitch, our, our end of the pitch, where you know James had the freedom of everything just to go through and score. It was really, really frustrating. Uh, just because uh, Rosa called the second goal a war crime, can I also say that Tuchel's run down the uh, touchline was was a war crime, and that is also what made that second goal. And the ensuing chaos even sweeter because I think fucking Tuchel and Klopp should just go and marry each other with their like over the top celebrations, like running down the line. You haven't won the cup, like, and he looked a dickhead very soon after that, didn't he? Let's be honest. So, 
Um, and, and he should have been, you know, without being too whiny about it, he should have he should have got a red card for that. He should have had a second yellow because that apparently is if you sprint off down the touchline like that, that is a yellow card for the ref. So he should have been long gone before he pulled his fucking weirdo hand trick at the end. So and, and he made a huge point in the sort of like post match interview about applying the rules. So like the rules should just be applied evenly everywhere. And Reese James wouldn't have been on the pitch to score the equaliser. Exactly. That second that second rugby tackle he did on Son. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a mad game for incidents. And, you know, I feel like they've, they've slightly been sort of VAR'd and talked to death on numerous platforms in the last few days. But we should... Um, so I want to I wanna stick to a few other bits and pieces. So the impact of the substitutes, I think, is obviously enormous and kind of, I think, links to what Rosa was saying, that sometimes it's not necessarily about tweaking the system or coming up with some genius tactical plan. It's about someone like Richarlison coming on and chasing down every sort of lost ball, you know, just working like a maniac, being a nuisance, pestering the back four, giving them something else to think about. And I thought in terms of that, he was he was outstanding and just what the team, what the performance needed. Um, Rosa, how impressed were you with, with our new number nine? Yeah, it just felt like, oh my God, at last, like here's, here's the hero we've all been waiting for, wasn't it? Because we've never, we've never had someone we could just bring on like that who is just going to stress out the other team and just suddenly like, you know, I feel like Jermaine Genus has rather gone off the boil on match of the day these days. He doesn't really seem like he's that interested anymore, but he did, he did draw specific attention to Richarlison and about how suddenly the defenders, Chelsea's defenders, didn't know which way to go because all of a sudden they had someone else who was doing something that no one else had been doing. And it's just having that energy, having that aggression. We we just, we haven't had that. So I just, I feel suddenly, I can't believe, I don't want to say it too soon, but are the like, is the curse of the number nine shirt being lifted at long last? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say, it. I'm not going to say it out loud. So I'm just going to you know, leave it. Just, just asking, asking the question, the question. mate. Yeah, yeah. Just leaving it there. Let's see well, him score a goal first. <laughs> while we're on things we haven't had in a long time as well, someone who can take a corner. Um, I mean. With either foot. <laughs> with either foot. Um, Son and Kane, as discussed many times, are brilliant at a lot of things. Set pieces, um, like not so much really. Like Son's corners are okay. For some reason, uh, Kane takes most of the free kicks. Uh, so I'm excited. Perisic's corners were brilliant. The one for the goal was fucking just outstanding, wasn't it? Um, and so exciting to have a set-piece taker. I'm excited to see him take some free kicks as well, hopefully. I'm just, I mean, I feel like I'm becoming sort of Perisic corner each week we talk this season, but I am so excited about him coming into the team. I just feel like... Even those little moments that people are picking up on where he's giving little pep talks and tactical sort of bits and pieces to not just Sessegnon, but, you know, he seems like he's happy to talk to Son and Kane and anyone. And I actually wonder if it's been quite useful for him to spend the first couple of games sat on the bench and just sort of watching how this team operates and what the personalities are and just sort of taking it all in before, you know, hopefully unleashing himself on the team properly. and. You know, it doesn't sound like I, I kind of, we were talking about it. I think Billy raised the point in our text group that Conte keeps making the point when talking about Perisic that this is not the Perisic I know. He's not yet 100%. You know, this isn't the guy that we can sort of get too excited about just yet. But I just think the, the quality and the sort of gravitas that he seems to have for a team like ours is, is enormous. I'm, I'm so excited. And I want to talk a little bit about Basuma as well because I feel like some uh, a Brighton Basuma, the guy that we watched last season sort of dominate our midfield on more than one occasion, I think had we had him play and able to play from the start at Stamford Bridge, I think, I think he's going to make a huge difference in terms of having that Dembele-type player that can be trusted in possession of the football. It doesn't matter how many people he's got on him. He can wriggle away. He can look after it. He can keep it moving. He can take it forward. And, you know, God love Pierre. And, you know, I've been one of his staunchest supporters. And I think he's a wonderful player for certain types of matches. But 
that slight kind of immobility that he has when up against, you know, and obviously Kante when he's playing in that form is about as good as it gets. So no real shade to be thrown at Hoybier here, but I just feel like you add Perisic, you add Basuma, that alone I think raises not just the performance of the team and the level of the team, but I think for those types of fixtures specifically, having a Basuma that can look after the ball in that way and having a Perisic who's been there and done that and is big and strong and can look after himself and won't get sort of psychologically bullied by any element of that sort of fixture, I think is massive. So in terms of being positive, I think moving forward, just those two coming into the team alone, which I think is what will happen soon enough, is, is really, really big. Um, I want to ask, which it wasn't necessarily a game where tons of our guys had sort of standout nine out of 10 performances really, but, and I know Romero got man of the match, perhaps for slightly um, sort of cynical reasons as voted for by the fans, but anyone else that you guys wanted to call out in terms of, you know, they gave a good showing of themselves. I thought Eric Dyer did pretty well, despite, you know, a tough old afternoon. I thought he acquitted himself quite well. Anyone else people want to talk about? I mean, the first goal aside, I thought Emerson was really decent. I like to be honest, like the first half, I think he was our best player. I mean, which probably shows you the level that we were playing at. But <laughs> he he did. He was really good. It's just that sort of craziness of the goal. Um but yeah, he was just, he just seemed to be everywhere, very committed, kind of, you know, just getting his body in the way. And to be honest, I think that the defence as a whole did that pretty well the whole game, actually. I think we really did, you know, I know watching it, it really felt like they were kind of slicing us open and that they were going to kind of score every time they went forward, but they actually didn't. And there's a reason for that. And it's not just bad luck on their part or kind of wasteful shooting on their part. I think as a whole unit, the defence did pretty well at sort of repelling kind of wave after wave of attack. So, you know, and I know it wasn't um, Ben Davies' finest hour, but he also did fine, I thought. And to be honest, got got an assist and also very nearly scored at the end. He did. He did. I thought we we defended well. I thought the back three and Royale, I'm not so sure that Cess fared quite so well going the other way, but I thought the defending itself was quite good. I think the problems that they ran into was not especially using the ball particularly well and starting things and sort of getting good ball forward. But I thought defensively, and I agree, I think Royale is proving himself actually really high level defender in these really tough fixtures, particularly away from home. You know, he's, he's tenacious, he's tough, his positioning seems to be improving, which I imagine is down to a lot of hard work on the training pitch with Conte and his team. So yeah, it's, it's very much his sort of shirt to lose at the minute, right? As Royale, isn't it? It's, he doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. Um, anyone else? Tom Ash, any players you thought did all right? No, I agree. I agree on Emerson. I thought he was really, he was good first half and I think there was a brief moment where again I thought oh Kulu is our best forward again in the first half but then I think it was really brief and I think I just was being overly um, positive about him because I love him what was cool though is that he then he played four going forward you know like it was mad (laughs) it it blows your mind doesn't it because when was the last time we had four for out-and-out attackers on the pitch. It hasn't happened in so long. So I think, at least like Ash said, it was quite confusing what the formation was at points. Mm. But at one point, it was basically 4-2-4. And so, you know, that's exciting. And I'm excited to potentially see that happen again and see the way, you know, against a lesser side perhaps a side not as compact and a side that doesn't defend as well as Chelsea see all four of those attackers on the pitch together Kulu Richarlison all of them kind of overlapping and Mm. being kind of fluid with their movement that's exciting Um, Ash we should talk about the front three a little obviously things revved up quite considerably when Richarlison did come on but before then it was a pretty a pretty wretched set of performances, really, from Kane, Son and Kulisevsky. I think it was tough for Kulisevsky because obviously everyone spent the week 
just, you know, kind of baptizing him, the Premier League's next superstar. You know, maybe he's our most effective attacker. He's the one that can't be touched. He's about to, you know, set off into a brand new level. And obviously Chelsea then basically did a bit of a number on him, didn't give him a kick all game. He was, I thought, getting frustrated with himself for the match and was giving away silly fouls. And he lost the ball for the second goal and all this sort of stuff. He just wasn't his finest hour. And Son and Kane can have those matches against good teams. I think it's, you know, we don't ever want to be one of those annoying sort of sets of fans that start slagging off two iconic all-time Tottenham greats. But they weren't very good for long periods, were they? No, they were really bad. Like, they were really, <laughs> really bad. Like, all three of them were, like, so shit. Um, by the way, like, Hulusevsky was fouled in the build-up to that goal, which I won't go into, but, like... The second goal? Yeah, like okay. that, that for me, that's like a foul. Like he pushed him over, doesn't try and play the ball. Um, but Kuseski was bad. But I think like what kind of got forgotten about last week and sort of at the end of last season was there was a period where Kuseski's form sort of like fell off a cliff for like a couple of weeks and he was like benched and then he got, got brought back into the side. So he's sort of how old is he? Like 21, 22. 22 now, yeah. So I think. I'm not worried about that because that may change. He's going to have he's going to have matches where yeah. teams double team him. It's harder for him, etc. Yeah, that's fine. And I guess like Son, we know that Son can be like a really streaky player, and he might do this for three games, and then like we get like the Son that we like know and love back. And I think like West mm. Ham's around the corner, and he always shows up for West Ham. So Son, Son, Kane. I, I mean, like during the game, I, I like in multiple text groups because I'm in about a million Spurs text groups. I was like losing my mind at how bad he was, <laughs> um, and like really cussing him out. And then he sort of like mugged me off by scoring a winner at the end. So I can't. I did, really detect, I did detect actually was slightly disappointed it wasn't Richarlison that scored that header. Oh, I, I, I immediately text about like Richard <laughs> like straight away because he he like ran off towards the away end, and I was like, oh my god, he's actually a hero already. Um, but he was just trying to claim um, Harry's goal, which clearly wouldn't have gone down very well. Um, well I, I enjoyed his celebration, just to butt in really quickly. I enjoyed it because I feel like he was so... Ex- I, I'm going to defend his sort of <laughs> trying to grab the glory thing because you're right, he did initially streak off and I think that was just pure excitement that we'd scored. And then I feel like he checked himself, remembered the sort of hierarchy, remembered that it's not cool to be you know, grabbing those sort of glory moments for yourself when in fact you had basically nothing to do with it and sort of like waited for Harry to sort of get past him. And he almost sort of ushered him through and sort of showed him how to get through to the fans. He remembered he wasn't at Everton anymore, basically. (laughs) There was no blue flare. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Like Kane is such a curious case because like during the game, I was like, he never shows up for these big games. And then, like, someone posted the sort of clip on Twitter and it's like, actually, under Conte, he showed up in, like, pretty much every big game against, like, the top six and scored in every game against the top six and set up goals or pre-assisted, like, goals in, like, most of these games. So he is, like, he is really sort of stepping up. And I know, I don't know, Chelsea really swarmed him and I think, like, they defended him so well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they kind of set a blueprint, I think, for how you nullify Kane and Son really because without Kane getting into those positions being able to turn sort of from the halfway line onwards Son's sort of effectiveness can be sort of snuffed out yeah I think it was do you know what it was so frustrating wasn't it because I like before the game I like remembered that Rudiger's gone to Real Madrid and I was like yes because he's always always just done an absolute number on Kane so I thought oh Kane will just like he'll be released he'll be free and then it was just the same thing all over again, wasn't it? Kane's, Kane against Chelsea is so interesting because Chelsea is like the game he announced himself in, right? Mm. The 5-3 on New Year's Day at the lane when he just ran riot and embarrassed everybody. And then it's, it's almost like since then, like nothing's really happened for him against them. So if this is him kind of like finally coming back to that, I, that would be so glorious. You could tell it like it meant so much to him as well, right? He was just like, was sort of like 
in pieces and called it like the winner in his like post-match interview as well. <laughs> I feel like we should talk about Christian Romero quickly. Obviously, he dominated the headlines. Um, he's. I think this feels like the game where the rest of the league is suddenly aware of what he is about in terms of the, you know, the kind of shithousery, the dark arts that he specialises in. We've sort of known it and we've seen it sort of slowly build to the point where it kind of exploded onto the sort of national stage, it felt like, on, on Sunday. I feel like, you know, we all obviously adore him. He's an elite defender. He has raised the level of our team significantly. I think he's got to like chill out for a bit because I think referees are probably going to be keeping a really close eye on what he does for the next few weeks, particularly because I reckon you get that sort of refs union thing where they probably feel like they need to right a wrong and, you know, they'll be, they'll be looking for him. So I hope he's intelligent enough now to just like calm himself down a little bit because the hair pulling, I don't know, like if that, if it had been the other way around, I would have been absolutely livid. And I think it's a bit, cheap and nasty and I don't particularly I mean it was Chelsea and it was amazing in so many ways but it didn't I don't know I didn't really love it all that much um do what you have to do against Chelsea I don't like (laughs) honestly I don't care I know exactly what you mean like in any other um circumstances I, I would be like don't do that that's kind of weird what you're doing but I just honestly just the rules don't apply with Chelsea you just you just do whatever you have to do to get out I think I was more like because it, that was he did that with the first corner right when Davies had the header and the ball wasn't really anywhere near him so I just feel like it was actually reckless in the sense that he could have got himself sent off and that basically would have been the game finished because by the time it would, would have happened it, the clock would have ticked over to 96 minutes we might not have even been allowed to take the next corner or they would have got a free kick or I'm not even sure particularly what the rules are so it just felt like you've got to just calm down a little bit because you're not going to keep getting away with these situations and it could end up really, really costing Spurs because on, you know, on another day, I think nine times out of 10, he probably would got would have got sent off, uh, you know, whatever the rules should be or aren't. I'm not sure, but I don't know. I'm maybe being like a massive prude and a massive baby about it and I should just enjoy the fact that he did do it and Chelsea are really pissed off, but I don't know. Regarding Chelsea, I think generally Rosa is right and um, the shit housing they can't com- fucking complain about anything, can they? They're Chelsea Football Club. Um, and, you know, generally, you know, people saying Chelsea should have won the game. Like, no one feels sorry for you at Chelsea. If it was Bournemouth or Brighton or someone who'd been robbed, you'd, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I do kind of feel a bit bad for you, but whatever. Um, but I think with Romero, my worry is, or not my worry, I just think he's that type of player. He plays on the edge. I don't think we're going to change his temperament, are we? Mm. Um, I think you're right. I think he's got definitely got a couple of sending-offs in a season in him, probably, hasn't he? And a yellow pretty much every every match. Um, but yeah, I just... Not think- that one, though, right? He didn't get a yellow. No, That's the thing. He, he didn't concede one foul in that entire match. Not one free kick was given against him. I mean, you know, maybe he just knows what he's doing. He slide tackles. Yeah. The timing. He is Argentinian. The timing, <laughs> the timing of his slide tackles is just fucking perfect. Yeah, I mean, I just like love how he acted all game. And um, I want him <laughs> to continue that um, throughout the season. And I think I know, I know what you mean in terms of... Um, him dialing it down a bit, but I feel like Deli Ali dialed it down a bit and he sort of became half the player that he was. So I that think a very like, good point. He should keep going. And I also think, weirdly, I know he did something mad at the end, but he sort of like walks that line very well. And like at the end of last season, I think like he was on nine yellow cards, and there are like six, seven games left, and he still managed to not get booked. Um and he probably doesn't even understand what's going on in the media because I don't think he even <laughs> speaks English and I don't think he cares. So I think like it will just continue and um, I think he'll just be really clever with it. I mean, like like you said, he went and got his like retribution on um, on Havertz and he got it on Cucurella, which and the Cucurella fouled him in, I think, like the eighth minute. And he sort of like remembered that all game 
and like left it until like the 95th minute to like get him back. So <laughs> I think I think he'll be fine and um I can't wait for him to play against Nunes. Um that's gonna be nuts. Like it's gonna be absolutely incredible. I saw someone say it's like it's basically the first sort of football game that should be played inside a UFC cage. Just those two just will be absolutely hilarious. Ash, I think but you're, you're right. only gonna bet on one winner in that situation, oh, of course. surely. That's yeah, the thing. Absolutely. Like Nunez is not going to last more than 10 seconds. Actually, I think you make a really good point as well that sort of calmed me down a bit about the Romero situation in that he does seem to know when he is right on the edge. And he showed that with the yellow card situation. There were some huge matches coming and he sort of calmed it down a bit. He sort of took it down a notch, got himself through those matches without doing anything sort of too psychotic. And I imagine he's probably, you know, and I imagine Conte's probably saying the same thing to him this week, right? Is that you'll now have a target on your back. Everyone will be waiting for you to do something nuts. Just don't give them it. Like, just chill out a bit. Just play, you know, play sensibly. And I think he's clearly a very, very intelligent footballer that knows what he's doing, even though he can obviously be a complete madman. But I think, yeah, I have faith. I have faith. Well done. You've talked me around. In relation to the UFC fight and there only being one winner in that fight, I was amazed that I saw at least one tweet saying that they would, that I think it was a neutral as well, not a Chelsea fan, saying, oh, I'd definitely back Tuchel in a fight against Conte. Are Extraordinary. you joking? Are you joking? I can only oh, assume Conte this is someone that's not old enough to remember Antonio Conte playing football and what an absolute, like, horrible horrible little bastard he was and just granite tough you know he wasn't the most talented player but just dragged himself to the very highest level through being just an absolute bulldog of a footballer so nonsense i mean too cool wouldn't last two seconds it would be he would snap him like a bread plus his brothers and uh his brother and assistants were like straight in as well I think you only have to look at their post-match conferences as well because Tuchel tried to do this sort of weird, he tried to kind of walk it all back a little bit, didn't he? Where he said, oh, you know, there's no there's no hard feelings from, from like our team's perspective. It's just all part of the game. And Conte comes out and is like, yeah, you have to try to kill your opponent. Pause for breath. In a sporting way. <laughs> And that's that's the man, isn't it? Basically, like that's that's what he's like. And to be honest, I also feel I feel like Romero's quite like that as well. It's like I'm gonna kill you, but I will also just walk it just a little bit back. So do you know what I mean? Like I know where the line is. I can be like an aggressive lunatic, but I absolutely know where the line is. And I've just had a little like. Do you remember, um, and I don't wish, I hope like Romero's career doesn't end up like this, obviously, but do you remember in the sort of heyday of Victor Wanyama when he seemed to get like a yellow card every match, but it only made him stronger? Like he never got sent off. He would get a yellow and it would be like, no problem. That doesn't matter. I'm just going to like up my game. So I think hopefully Romero will follow that, but not obviously like the sad end of poor Vic's career. It would concentrate Victor to his mind wouldn't it it would sort of sharpen him up a bit and make him realize that he had to play very very concentrated football for the next 86 minutes that he had to play on yellow it was it was a weird phenomena but it was it was brilliant like a beautiful thing to behold oh i miss him (laughs) (laughs) um on the conte tuchel stuff i feel like conte's got a decent i will probably release this and it will get um it will all be sorted out but i don't know that Antonio did an awful lot wrong at the end. And I think it was actually deeply unfair that he got a red card because that was all too cool, just being an absolute maniac. And for them to get the same punishment, I think, and I know that Conte, you could argue, sort of started it by celebrating in their faces when we had our first equaliser. But that's just what happens when the dugouts are there. That happens pretty much every match, as far as I am aware. Like, that's just normal. Too cool, like, took it way too far and I thought it was pretty outrageous that they both got the same treatment um and yeah I hope I I assume he'll miss the Wolves game which we'll go on and talk about just now but and I assume that means Ryan steps up or maybe one of the sort of scary Italians sort of has to fill in which would be kind of fun I guess and I don't know if that means Antonio has to like sit in a director's box where you could sort of see him 
like leaning over the side of the West Stand and sort of yelling and that would be quite fun sort of panto but it'll be weird to see how we cope without him I guess in the dugout. I'd, I'd be interested to see Levy's face while uh, while sat next to Conte, uh, like while Conte's just like ranting at him or whatever, um, and uh, Daniel Levy's just trying to stay quite calm and chat to his son or whatever. That'd be great. Um, I feel like the last thing we should touch on with the Chelsea game before we do move on to Wolves is just the the absolute hilarious meltdown of Chelsea fans, particularly the American Chelsea fans, which I don't know if I was quite aware that like 85% seemingly of sort of US soccer fans seem to be like diehard Chelsea. Um, but according to Twitter, that does seem to be the case. Of course, we're, we're lacking Billy this week, so we couldn't do rolling in the tweets because we can't possibly do it without him. That would be sacrilege. Um, if he were here, I think we would obviously have done a, a Chelsea fan sort of fume special. Um, I think one example I will pick out was the absolute kind of crazy person that well actually I mean the the, the 80,000 fans that have signed a petition to have Anthony Taylor banned from officiating Chelsea games going forward is is the most sort of insane thing that they did this weekend but I really enjoyed someone that tweeted at Dale Johnson of ESPN who's their sort of go-to VAR expert sort of decisions guy um, and he had set up a couple of chairs in his bedroom to try and illustrate how Mendy was in fact unsighted by Richarlison being offside. Um, and Dale Johnson has gone up enormously in my estimations by replying simply to this guy, chairs, what are you doing? <laughs> and I think sometimes you need that sort of clear-headed, just exposing of how insane football Twitter can be. Yeah, just like weird Americans and like chair madness. Do you remember like the Republican Party National Convention back when like Obama was president and Clint Eastwood got up on the stage and started talking to an empty chair as if it was Obama? I'm like, <laughs> do you not do you just not learn from anything, guys? Just no funny business with chairs. Just stop it. <laughs> I think that's the perfect point to roll into uh, roll into wolves. Um so Wolves, 12.30 on Saturday, which is kind of my main worry, actually, with this fixture, that it is one of those ridiculous sort of very early, almost morning games because often the atmosphere can really suffer. It can take a while for the players to get into these matches. And I think, as Ash pointed out, what we want to see is that that sort of last-minute glory against Chelsea rolls over into this fixture and they come out sort of going at Wolves. Again, it's another fixture that we lost last season, so we can sort of right some wrongs there. Wolves have had a really slow start to the season. They lost 2-1 away at Leeds on the opening day, then they drew 0-0 against Fulham on the weekend. Um, and Fulham actually missed a penalty in that one as well. Wolves did, to be fair, miss quite a few chances themselves. Um, Neto and Podence look as lively as ever, and they've signed a couple of really interesting players. Um, Guidesh, I think I've pronounced that poorly, but a sort of Argentine winger from... Uh, Valencia looks very exciting. And then they've just signed um, Matias Nunez from Sporting Lisbon, who seemed like he was headed for like Man City or Liverpool, but they've signed him for 50 million euros. And it sounds like he'll make his debut against us. So the kind of Jorge Mendes stuff seems to be rolling on nicely for Wolves into a new crop of players. Um, they also, of course, have Adama Traore back from Barcelona and coming off their bench. So I guess we should be prepared for some narrative to come into play when he comes on sort of with 20 minutes to go. Um, but despite me talking Wolves up, they seem to have real problems scoring goals. They don't really have a striker with Jimenez injured. We should really have little issues. I've said this before. I said it last season going into this Wolves game, I think. Um, so I should be very careful how I'm running my mouth. But how are we feeling about it? Ash, how are you feeling? Um... I mean, I thought we'd beat Chelsea easily, so I don't even want to make a prediction. Um, I don't want to give a hex us, but um, I know that we like. I know that we drew um, at Chelsea, um, but I sort of want a response to that performance because I thought the performance, especially the first like 50, 60 minutes, was so bad. Um, so yeah, I'm just hoping that like they turn up. So it should be like a, a, a sort of fairly like routine win. Um, but I'll probably regret saying that in a week's time. 
you would like to think that yeah i think the i think you're right in terms of the players wanting to particularly the front three and actually my next question is what should that front three be because i feel like a lot of us would love to see richarlison from the start right tom would you would you agree with that and if so who would you drop Firstly, Charlie, you've just reminded me uh, about your confidence going into Southampton and Wolves uh, last season and how actually I've still got a bit of a grudge about that because you were so... I think I said we'd win 1-5-0. You really cursed us that with that week and that Wolves game was, oh my God, was so bad. At least we scored against Southampton, didn't we? And then did nothing against Wolves. Um... I don't know. I think I'd stick with the same front three uh, and have Richarlison on the bench. I don't want to... There's a chance I keep saying this in every podcast. It doesn't happen, but I'm hoping uh, Perisic starts uh, this week and, you know, Cesc can come on at 70 minutes or whatever. But I think, yeah, like Ash said, a kind of response from that Chelsea game. I know Kane scored right at the end but give the, that front three a chance to right those wrongs. And if not, I'm sure Richarlison will come on at some point and he's an excellent insurance policy at all times, mm. obviously. I would like to see at least one of the new boys start. I feel like I've had two fixtures now, no new signing start. I think it would be really nice for... I think it would give the fans... A, not that we necessarily need a boost. Obviously, the mood is excellent right now, but... It would be quite exciting to see one of those new guys start and I would love to see. I'm I'm wary of Sess's confidence being hit too much by being sort of bounced out of the team after one dodgy performance, but I would love, love, love to see Perisic sort of let off the leash. Rosa, how are you feeling about the, the potential lineup? Well, I predicted this as Conte's first meltdown when we, but I said we'd beat Chelsea and then immediately lose to Wolves. So I don't know. Um, uh, mm, I'm slightly I've got a few concerns about Sun to be honest because I think he's sort of started this season in kind of very slow fashion really like he didn't really look on it at Southampton and then he was pretty terrible I mean obviously as they all were against Chelsea so obviously I, I don't I feel like he's kind of in that category of undroppable really but He's more the one where I'd be where I'd be looking, although maybe Kulu as well, because I think Kulu was pretty anonymous against Chelsea as well. I wouldn't be mad at like the same eleven sign, just only because it is Wolves, and I sort of feel like I don't mind saving Perisic at least for a bigger game. I guess if you to get the sort of first like proper ninety minutes in. And if you want Basuma, who does he come in for? I feel like the, the sort of natural replacement is for Hoybier. But can you drop Hoybier after like scoring on Saturday, I, Sunday? I don't know. I think so. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I, 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 I was actually going to say that like my my change would be to drop him and bring in Basuma because I think like Wolves are really strong and they showed that in the game last season in central midfield. Mm. And it's going to be really physical. And I think like Basuma is just more physical than like Hoiberg. And I would save, I think Richarlison probably deserves to start, but I would save him for the West Ham game um, where I just want to see him like really be like pressing like West Ham defenders and like being up in their face. Um, And I think you're going to have to start changing the team as we go to two games a week. I am... I'm quite excited for us to go to two games a week, actually. I know it's nice to kind of bed in to the season slowly, but we've got so many new signings. And I think like 10 minutes at the end of games isn't going to do Basuma any good. Like, it'd be great to see Spence at some point and, and Longley and actually having those two games a week will just help them get used to playing for Tottenham. Uh, And hopefully, I don't know when they come, but those kind of early cup fixtures as well, the early Carabao games and stuff, um, that's a great chance to to see see some of them properly. Because it's not fair Mm. on Basuma to keep giving him, especially him, to keep giving him 10 minutes at the end of games. He strikes me as someone that needs full starts as well to get into the rhythm of the team, to understand his role in it, to you know, know when he's supposed to go and get the ball off the centre-backs or play a bit further forward. So I'm 
I'm really excited for him to figure it out because, like I said earlier, I think he he could really raise us up a level once he's bedded in. So I would be tempted to start him, but I feel like we'll go sort of more sensible in such midfield. I think those two will probably start again, but who knows? Um, and I guess the back three picks itself, right? I guess it doesn't sound like Longley's kind of going to make it. So I, I suppose that back three is just that that back three. Um, predictions, Don't sound please. so disappointed. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I really I want to see Longley start a match. That's not that's no no anti Ben sort of propaganda from me at all. I think Ben Davis is a excellent Premier League defender. I am excited to see Longley play because I feel like his ability on the ball in those bigger matches, particularly where I think that, as I was droning on earlier about, I think having players that are comfortable with the ball at their feet in those big matches and they're not going to get stressed out by, oh my God, I've got Chelsea players swarming me. I'm just going to boot it as far as I can and hope for the best. I just want that level of calmness from our players. And I feel like, and maybe Barcelona fans would be like, but you've not seen Longley make kamikaze defending errors. You don't know what you're talking about, but I'm thinking more, he's played for Barcelona. He's a France international. He's going to be, you know, Mr. Debonair in control of the football. It's going to be wonderful. That's probably wildly off base, but um, yeah, I love Ben. You know, I love Ben Rosa. Yeah, you've you've successfully defended your point. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Do we feel like we're going to see Matt Doherty come back at any point? Or because just having talked about Spence, I feel like we've just kind of gone straight from Emerson to Spence. And is Doherty kind of becoming our sort of forgotten man, really? Because to be honest, I'm not necessarily that bothered about it. I really, I'm very, very keen to see Spence. And even though I know that it does at the moment seem to be Emerson's place to lose. I definitely feel like if I'm Spence and I'm looking at that right wing back position, I would think I could make that my own like easily by the end of the season. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. I, I know that Spence didn't make the squad right on, on Sunday. So he's probably maybe a little further away than we sort of initially thought. But I could seem like dirty starting at the weekend like going back to the point about like Wolves being really physical and then him mm. knowing them, I think like maybe he gets the start and maybe Spence is just given Conte's comments, like he's just bedded in over the next few months. And by the end of the season, he's the right back. Um, I don't know that. I guess that would be like my prediction if I was to guess. It is yeah, weird, I agree it? with that, to be honest. I think I could see that as well. Just, uh, yeah, a few, like the sort of first half of the season and then we'll see him kind of gradually introduced. But I think he, it just seems to me like he's got everything that we need, that he will be a more complete player than than the other two. And like, if he just needs that confidence to say, I will make that position my own. Mm. And also just to be trained up to understand what... Um to understand what Conte wants from that position because it is so specific and it's so tough and it's so demanding that I guess he's just going to need to be in sort of mad Italian coach boot camp for, for the next three or four months before they trust him properly. Um, I want some predictions quickly whilst we wrap up Wolves. Um, Rosa, what's yours? 2-1, I think. Yeah. Spurs? Yeah, yes, sorry, yes. 2-1. Any, any, any scorers? Any scorers you fancy? Um, I think Kane will score and I reckon Richarlison will come on and score as well. Excellent. Tom? Yeah, 3-1 uh, with a Richarlison goal off the bench. Ash? Uh, I'll go 1-0 to Spurs Son to score. Okay, I'm going 3-0. Um, I think Perisic, Royale, and Ben Davies. I'm surprised you didn't go to five. I'm not. I'm not having Tom harbour <laughs> this grudge any further than it needs to go. I mean, I've said three now. That's that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty bold, isn't it? Tom might not talk to me till Christmas. That prediction <laughs> had something for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's do culture, guys. We've we've successfully uh, decided we're beating Wolves quite handily, so that's good. Um, Ash, you can kick us off with your culture pick for this week, please. I don't really have a culture pick this week because I've just been working and I've been very boring. But 
The one thing I did discover um, this week, which has nothing to do with culture, is um, those Lime scooters that you can rent, which has completely changed my life. Someone so told I me today that I should do. In fact, I was out. I was going out for dinner last night, and someone someone asked me as if it was like weird for me not to use one of these scooters. And I was like, "Wow, are they this popular?" Now? And yeah. she was like, "Yeah, everyone's using them now. They Get are. with it, Granddad." Yeah, you need why are they to so good? On it. Why are they so good? Um, so my friend Adam, who's also a Spurs supporter and listens to this podcast, Hi, Adam. Um, hello Adam, um, <laughs> put me on to put me on to the the Lime sort of scooters. And I've just been like using them to just like run around London to meetings and it just saves time and it's great. And I encourage everyone to use it. Is that's this my, that's my is this sponsored content? This feels like sponsored content. Yeah, they've got to me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Can I tell you that unfortunately right now by saying you use those scooters, you are now like Ollie's mortal enemy because oh, they, no. yeah, they, they are honestly his nemesis. But I mean, to be honest with you, Ash, I'm sure you use them as they are meant to be used in like the allowed designated places. But we like the parks around where we live, where you're just like walking out, walking with your kids and your kids are on their bikes. Like they just come past like so fast and they have actually like maimed a child as well. So, I mean, I presume you use them responsibly, but they are not used responsibly in our area. And it is, and you will probably have like, Ollie has like written several um, angry to put it mildly Twitter threads about it. Just for a change. I'm yet to <laughs> maim a child, but if I don't make the next week's podcast, you'll know why I'm not here. Wow. Um, this is all very dramatic. Please don't maim anyone, Ash. We, you're, you'll be much missed. Um, all football, no maiming. That's this yeah. podcast. There you <laughs> Unless go. you're Romero, I guess. Yeah. Um, Ash, there must be something you've listened to this week that we can all go and add to our libraries. Come on. We, we rely on you for this. I'm checking right now. I'm going to come um, back to you. We'll go around. You can look at your, go, go your, for it, go for it. You can look at your music and we'll come back. Um, Rosa, give us yours, please. Yeah. Do we need anything else though? After, I mean, Ash's um, recommendation last week was so good. I've just listened to that as well. Um, it's a shame also that Billy's not on this because I watched a film that he recommended well I wanted to see it anyway everything everywhere all at once which I know was his film of the year and I really really agree it's absolutely fantastic especially again if you watched Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness as I did and was really disappointed they just get like everything that was wrong with that film they get right with this one and obviously on a kind of much 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 smaller budget um so it is that sort of multiverse hopping film with um, Michelle Yeoh at the centre and it's just it's a brilliant performance and it's a great movie it's so funny and imaginative and playful and also very kind of emotional and heart-wrenching and manages to sort of make a film that has a mother at its centre like that's how to do it and not to portray her as like a crazy bitch <laughs> so <laughs> Um, I would just really echo Billy's recommendation of that because it is it's a really, really great film. That's and very cool, like just directed by two guys who are called Daniel. And so they're just called Daniels. Nice. That is cool. I like that a lot. Um, I have been sort of going back and wrapping up some stuff that I'd not quite finished. So we finished Winning Time. That I think might have nearly broken a record for us in terms of the gaps between episodes that we've been watching at like a glacial pace and leaving like four weeks between episodes. Even then, we finish that quicker than you yeah. guys. I can't believe it. And then um, it's made in a lab for me, that show. I don't know why I didn't hoover it up, but we sort of finally got to the last three episodes and we did watch them really quickly. And I thought it ends really well. I've been sort of put off by it in that I've read loads of disparaging sort of, this is us, like utter nonsense. None of this actually happened. Everyone's personalities have been, sort of cartoonized to such a point that it's actually like grossly unfair. Um, all those yeah, all, all the Lakers hate it, right? Yeah, all the Lakers hate it. Like the bus family hate it. Everyone absolutely despises it. Um, uh, but anyway, it is good fun. It's sort of classic Adam Adam McKay, sort of slightly over fussy, over gimmicky kind of stylized stuff, but it's really glossy and a lot of fun to watch. So we finished watching that. That's good. 
we started at last season two of Euphoria after Tom, um, I don't think, could believe that I watched the first one, loved it so much, and then I've waited like a year pretty much to finally get into the second season. Watch the first few. It's so much better. Like it just goes into a different stratosphere of just being provocative and entertaining and being so terrified that you have a daughter and that could possibly be a universe that she gets mixed up in and she's never leaving the house ever again. That is not going to happen. Just like making you worry out of your mind, but really, really good. So bang into that. And then um, Big Boys as well on Channel 4 um, by Jack Rook. Um, it's just one of the loveliest UK sitcoms I've, I think I've ever seen. It's so well-observed and captures male friendships in a really beautiful way. And that awkward period when you're 18 and sort of leaving home for the first time to either go to university or just sort of figure out who you are. I just thought it was really, really lovely and I can't recommend it enough. I thought it was really beautifully done. Um, and then music-wise, quickly, um, the Hudson Mohawk album, Cry Sugar, that came out last week, or the week before, um, I had that on all the way through whilst hoovering the house last week. And first time I've enjoyed hoovering in ages because uh, I was just sort of proper getting down in an embarrassing fashion um, to the point where my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter told me to stop dancing because it was embarrassing. So that's how much I enjoyed the hoovering. Um, so that album's great. That's me. Tom, what have you got? Uh, yeah, I would echo your sentiments on Big Big Boys, which is, oh, yeah, on four Channel 4. So good. Uh, no, just I'm just trying to make it through the six weeks holidays, to be honest, uh, <laughs> with my children. It's so long, six weeks. Oh, my God. Anyway, music, just some quick fire music stuff. The Coco Roco album, I think they're from Rose's Manor, the Camberwell, I think. Uh, that's just a lovely UK jazz project that isn't too deep. You don't have to be a jazz head to love it. It's a real mix of jazz and hip hop and soul it's uh that's just a gorgeous album it's called could we be more the um, have you have you seen them live because i was talking to some people at work who were saying they are like one of the most life-changing live acts they've no, ever seen I'm you desperate. have to see them to understand them that kind yeah of thing. no i'm desperate to see them live i need to get to some of that new uk jazz stuff there um Jazz Refreshed, is it, has just restarted that night that mm. where a lot of these London UK jazz people came out of. Love to see Coco Roco. Uh, the Fortet single, Mango Feedback, is a banger. The Hudson Mohawk album, I love. Or it's absolutely mental, but there are some amazing moments in it. And oh, just the Danger Mouse and Black Thought album is really quite special. Uh, the producer danger mouse black thought from um the roots and then there's like guests like uh, run the jewels asap rocky um joey badass uh michael kiwanuka is on it as well uh spurs fan anyway that's just a great album it's called cheat codes danger mouse and black thought and that is everything for me i am um, i really need to listen to that properly because i sort of gave it a quick go through whilst i was working and sort of had it in the background but I just keep hearing that it's, I mean, is it fair to say it's a return to form for Danger Mouse? Because I feel like maybe he's had a few years where the material's not quite hit the marks that we expected. Is it, I think is it that or is that unfair on Danger Mouse perhaps? He's worked on a lot of different stuff. He obviously was on Adele 25, um, does Kiwanuka. Broken, Kiwanuka, does Broken Bells. He hasn't done made a proper hip hop album in ages. Um since the Danger Mouse and Gemini album is, mm. is amazing. Uh, and then he, I think he's done bits of hip hop production, but yeah, I, I think it's great. It's like 12 tracks. It's nice and tight. And like Black Thought is, is brilliant and the guests are great. Um, and the production is really diverse and Danger Mousey and live. It's great. I feel like I've now been really unfair on Danger Mouse. I've just looked up his sort of yeah. most recent production credits. And oh, I guess yeah. I... That will learn me, yeah, making my sweeping generalizations and statements, like predicting huge thrashings. Um, just, I'm just terrible at all of this. Um, yeah, I guess he's just sort of been more in the background, hasn't he, rather than maybe front and centre. For a while, it felt like he was sort of dominating everything we were listening to. Um, 
I'm going to stop talking my way into insulting people that I really genuinely love. <laughs> Get on to sort of family members at this rate if I don't stop talking. So that'll do. We have been Hometown Glory. That was um, my really abrupt finish to our podcast. This has been episode four of season two. Uh, we haven't got Billy to um, to see at home. So Rosa, can you see us, see us off tonight, please? Up the spurs. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.